Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Court of Ballots podcast. I'm Joe, and I am joined by Muse. Hi. Excellent. And V. <laughs> Hi. We're a comic podcast that uploads weekly. You can check the show notes for which comics we'll be covering this week and their timestamps. So that way you can skip over those titles if it's something you haven't read yet or you are not interested in reading. That was a lot of energy for an intro. I got so ramped up. That was like second wind after my workout. We are on our week two of Return to Comics reviews. I'm going to have Vigo first. Oh, darn it. Because I have a lot of things to say about her title. Oh, how very selfish of you. All right. Well, I figured you get to say your part first. <laughs> I think we all have a lot to say about her title for today. Well, I'm glad that everyone has read this. I kept the uh, synopsis blank so that uh, I could fill you in with my ice-cold takes. Um, I read Batman 107. Writer, of course, James Tinian the fourth, And the artist is Jorge Le- Jimenez. And... Homu Mori with Ricardo Lopez Ortiz. Now, Ricardo Lopez Ortiz, was he the artist that did the short? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, what in the name of Deviant Art was going on there? <laughs> Batman 107 is. I don't want to call it a waste of paper. <laughs> because, like, Jorge Jimenez does some fine looking art, mm-hmm. and I loved his Harley Quinn design. I love her. Yeah. She looks so bouncy. Yeah. She's got a new conditioner. It's working (laughs) for her. The makeup is a little subtler. The outfit is very um, rockabilly. Yes. Mm -hmm. I feel like he lost her voice, though. She doesn't sound like Harley Quinn anymore. She kind of sounds... It doesn't even sound like Tinian anymore, at least not the Tinian we started with. It sounds like a different person writing. A person Mm -hmm. who is much more verbose... Self-indulgent, that's yeah, the word. There we go, yeah. So anyways, let's let's give you the synopsis. Belated, I know. So this happens after A-Day, uh, another big event where a bunch of people in Arkham died, including apparently the Scarecrow. But there are a bunch of Scarecrows popping up all over Gotham. The news, i it's like a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> like, I get it. I do. I understand that, like, the news will tell you the mood of the people around you. Mm -hmm. But in this one, the news is like, an unprecedented rot on gas masks. People are frightened that the Joker is going to release gas on the city. It's like, I'm sorry. Where do you live? (laughs) (laughs) You live in Gotham. So if you don't have a gas mask by now, like, what are you doing? You're an idiot. I felt like he was trying to do a parallel thing where it was like... Because he also said non-essential workers will have a curfew at 8. And it's like, oh, uh, I, I see. Mm. This is the new speak. Trying to make this as close to our current pandemic as possible. You know, I completely gloss over that dialogue. Like, I saw, like, the news people, but it just reminded me of, like, what he was trying to do in the beginning of Joker War. Mm-hmm. But it worked better there. I guess so. It was it was a bigger event. This is just some lunatic running around putting scarecrows up. And people are like, oh no, will he gas me and my family? And it's like, I don't know. He's done like eight times before. So... <laughs> He's got to run out at some point. Like, I'm surprised these people haven't become immune to his fear <laughs> talks. Like, the amount of times they just get... Listen, we've already talked about it. The people in Gotham are already like mutants <laughs> at this point. But this is all a flashback. So Batman's already been captured by the Scarecrow. It's giving me Killing Joke vibes because it's got Batman in a gimp suit and it's got, like, (laughs) the eyes being pulled open, clockwork orange style. I hate it so much. And it really emasculates him. He's, like, strapped to a chair. They made him look even more emasculated than uh, Superman in that red, white, and blue uh, issue. (laughs) Oh, and he's like, they're doing unspeakable things, humiliating things. Just gross stuff that I can't talk about here because they're preschool toys present. Speaking of preschool toys present, like, this has a lot of swearing in it. But it's not real mm-hmm. swearing. They just put, like, seven bats in there. So it's like, you think I bat this and bat that? And <laughs> there are too many words already taking up space. You didn't have to put eight bats there. 
Uh, the art's pretty good. I could have looked at that without any text at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. But yeah, it, this is like all a flashback. Uh, Batman's been captured. He's being forced to remember. How did I end up in this place? <laughs> well, I'll tell you. And then flashback to this and flashback to that. So he's on the hunt for uh, Scarecrow. Scarecrow supposedly died, but what it really was was a doppelganger with prosthetics. In the meantime, we have new OCs. We have uh, Dr. Wise. Mm-hmm. And the um, Unsanity crew. God, that name is just... Uh, it reminds me of a poorly like executed way of saying whelmed. Yes. <laughs> young Justice. Yes. This just feels... What was that word that you like to use about this current writing? You can't say indulgent. it. Indulgent. There we go. <laughs> yeah, I was actually explaining to V2 after um, I read it on Tuesday. I was saying that it seems a lot like Tinian is just having a really hard time breaking away from like the, the indie writing mindset where he has full creativity compared to having to write mm-hmm. something mainstream like Batman where there's a bunch more regulations and stuff for it because he is just throwing original characters left and right into this run. So Tinian jumped on in issue 86, right? Mm-hmm. We're on issue 107. Mm-hmm. So from 86 to I'm going to say the next issue, 108, because we already got a tease of a new character coming out in that one, Tinian has created 14 original characters. Oh my God. And they're not like normal people. No. They're all like some bizarre crazy idea and then like you meet them and you're like oh you're boring as an eight ball like what's what's that about they barely showed up or had any dialogue and they just get thrown away like mr teeth and except for mr oc insert hammer pants that's exactly what i was gonna say stick around gunsmith mr teeth and the designer haven't been seen since the first story arc then we get punchline then we got ghostmaker and clown hunter and then we have this new one called Rose, and along with this Professor Wise guy, or whoever he is, and then at the end of this comic in a mini story, we get another additional five. Oh my! And can I tell you, Rose? When I saw her, I was like, "Oh, she looks like the punch drunk wannabe Joker, except for <laughs> Ivy, because now she's stalking Harley. Mm-hmm. She has two like." Um, some green hyenas that are made out of plants and she's holding a rose like she's that freaking tuxedo mask tuxedo Tuxedo mask mask. (laughs) yeah same outfit but in red and she looks like far sector i was gonna Mm -hmm. say that too so there's this thing going around that a lot of comic artists and writers are picking up on where there seems to be a standard type of like template for a new person of color character and it's now being used by Far Sector, it's being used by this character called Rose, and it's also being used in Star Wars The High Republic. I call it the Dear White People template, because they all look like that main chick from that movie, (laughs) and that's what they've been doing. It's always this girl. It's like that point, remember when like Marilyn Monroe was big, and all of a sudden there were a bunch of like platinum blondes mm-hmm. running around going, oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a wacky theory. I'm usually wrong, but that's mine. <laughs> Move on, because we're kind of like right around Rose right now, and I'm like, well, this is perfect, because whoever's doing coloring is doing a bomb job. That's Maury. I love the sapia tones and like see the sun coming through the clock tower, and it's just pretty. And you can feel the gorgeous. Yeah, and I really loved how... Okay, so (laughs) Oracle was drawn really inconsistently. Like, sometimes she has this real Mm -hmm. derpy face. Sometimes her whole body goes, like, weird, stiff noodle. And, like, sometimes she's drawn so charmingly. But when she was drawn well in this one, I was like, yeah. She was pulling the story along with her. I can't remember. She had some really dumb line. And I was like, Tinian. But the way she delivered it, where she like looked over her shoulder, like with this, this little impish smile, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm into it, you know? <laughs> this moment is cute because of the art. Mm. But like, I think at that point she was saying, Bruce, we need a bat signal for you. Oh, right. Not just one bat signal because the mayor freaking hates you, but like a bunch of little bat signals. So when you see a bat signal around town, 
you go up there and you're going to meet with a Commissioner Gordon, quote unquote, and he'll give you the, the mission for the day. Like it's a freaking Arkham video game. Yeah, she was setting up some <laughs> dumb video game for him and he's just like, mm, okay. I'm going to have Stephanie and Cass scout out places. We're going to have 12 little baby bat signals. Once they're used, we'll take it away and it'll never be used again. I'm like, you know how many people are on those roofs? Someone else is going to find one of your, like, dozen bat signals and turn it on. You have, like, a phone that can't be traced. Just use that. Until um, <laughs> the the Stephen Cass comic comes out, we just know that they're still in Gotham. They're just running all over rooftop the rooftop, planting and picking up these little bat <laughs> signals. Oh, my gosh. Talk about a demotion. Talk about a cardio workout. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> the whole, like, I'm just imagining them, like, carrying these big old mm -hmm. things like how big are these signals that they're like running around with? are they flashlight size are they the size <laughs> of a giant barrel i don't know it just seemed very silly she was smiling she looked so happy about the idea i was like oh i'm into it and then i realized what she was saying i'm like oh you dumb idiot okay also just the hey we're just gonna make a comment about Cass and stuff and never show them in anything like tim drake's just kind of stuck in limbo land now it's like where is this kid <laughs> i want someone to like mention him and just be like hey you remember tim drake whatever happened to that guy i haven't seen him in like a year and then batman goes which robin was that <laughs> oh <laughs> i just want to know what the fans would say <laughs> yeah okay so now we have to come to the white elephant in the room um, um. Tinian's avatar. The narrator has entered the chat with the wordiest little white ninja of all times. Mm -hmm. He appears in a puff of smoke to help Harley out. Um, I should mention that Harley thinks she is Batman's sidekick now. Batman has been doing his own crime solving. He has not interacted with Harley Quinn in this issue as far as I can tell. He's got his hands full um, trying to figure out where the scarecrow is. Meanwhile, Harley's dealing with some of the escaped patients from Arkham. One of them calls himself Mr. Stabby. Does he count as an OC? We can count <laughs> it to bump it up to 15. Yeah, he didn't get like a cool, awesome title <laughs> card like he's a Borderlands character. <laughs> but uh, he just is kind of like, I, I like to put people in the dirt so that they're not so loud. I call myself Mr. Stabby, and she's like, oh, you were really nice when you were on your meds. We just got to get you some meds. And then the cops show up and say, hey, I got to brutalize this poor innocent man. He stabbed three people. And she's like, wow, he's sick. How dare you? And they're like, we don't care about him being sick. We're going to kill him. I think it was supposed to be like a, a victorious moment for us, the audience, to see like, yeah, down with cops or whatever. Even though Montoya's a cop, so I have mixed feelings about this crew. <laughs> Montoya's the commissioner, and we all love Renee Montoya. So instead of getting arrested by, like, all of this cop's buddies after she beats him up... What is his name? Ghostmaker. I'm just gonna call him Weeb. So anyways, <laughs> Weeb Ghostmaker shows up, and he's like, Harley Quinn, I've always wanted to meet you. Tries to get her to come with him, and she's like, I don't want to leave my new bike. And then she pinned a note to Mr. Stabby um, that just said, hey, I need my meds. I'm telling a little bit out of order, but it doesn't really matter because, like, the main crux of it is Batman is hunting, Harley Quinn is there, and also we got to see Ghostmaker. And we also get to see a Silicon Valley tycoon. Um, I hate this <laughs> man's forehead. He's um, afraid of something much worse, and it's uh, a boogeyman who sort of looks like the Scarecrow. Basically, it's implied he's working for the Scarecrow. And Batman's like, I don't really know why he's doing this. It's kind of weird. Someone broke him out of prison. I don't know why they broke him out of prison. And I don't know why he's putting Scarecrows around town without any fear toxin on them. Just to see if people are going to freak out because they saw a Scarecrow. So we don't have any answers. We haven't really seen anything. But there is a little bonus story afterwards, which got a little attention on Tumblr. Basically, it says... <laughs> in a super private, super fast fighter jet. And then it chucks in an image of like some Star Trek looking space vehicle. But it's like, ah, it's a fighter jet. And guess what's in the fighter jet? An orgy. <laughs> well, it's a luxury fighter jet. And it's got a giant round bed. It's probably a water bed. And it's got a man <laughs> and a woman in it. And then 
there's the ghost maker and he's looking at them like yeah as he puts on his pants but he's kind of snapping his underwear like their overalls and he's like oh i've solved so many crimes in our last two hours of carnal bliss i'm kind of a big deal in my super secret fighter jet I got a headache just reading that panel. I was like, are you kidding me right now? And it doesn't help that the deviant art is there. So it reads like a really bad fanfic of what I don't know of himself, I guess. So when he walks out on them, he's like, enjoy the champagne and food. We'll never see each other again. Spread the legend of who I am. And he like leaves. And it was weird too because the guy he was talking to was like, I thought we were just kind of warmed up, which makes it sound like they didn't really have any sex at all. <laughs> <laughs> so he's just like, like we just walked in and he did that for us. He's just posturing. He's so posturing. I want to tell you that I finished this story, <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> I couldn't possibly. I like. <laughs> I flipped through the the rest of the pages. I just looked at the art and I was like, "That's fine." I absolutely refuse. I also just skimmed through all this because I'm like, I refuse to give this end comic the time of day. Because <laughs> I, I had to put in the maximum effort then because I read it. <laughs> I I just was skimming for Sonic inflation porn. I was like, if there's any Sonic in this, I'll know it came from DeviantArt, but I didn't find any, Pretty so much I just put it down. This woman who calls herself Madam Midas. I did see that. Is the richest woman in the world, and she hasn't been known to anybody in a superhero community because she didn't want to be known. She's been trying to put together the toughest bounty hunters that went up against Ghostmaker and lived. And she wants to know the tactics so that way she can kill Ghostmaker herself. And then Ghostmaker crashes in from jumping out of his fighter jet, which she planned. And then the fight starts, and that's where it ends. And you have a guy that looks like a Sonic villain because it's a giant freaking crocodile (laughs) it's not killer croc it is uh just another crocodile looking dude that has gloves and chains and stuff around his neck like that one sonic villain his name is the instigator also freaking kid kawaii please Mm -hmm. kill me (laughs) which looks just like penny from into the spider-verse yeah. Then you have Razorline, who looks like a McCree from Overwatch ripoff. And then this other guy called Brainstorm. <laughs> <laughs> so because you guys couldn't even finish it, what did you rate it? <laughs> because I gotta tell you, after I read this, I, I gave this a 1 out of 5 stars on Goodreads, and this is probably the lowest rating I ever gave a Tinian comic. I mean, that's a hard one out of five for me, too. I didn't read the dumb bit. (laughs) (laughs) And the art was just glorious. I also forgot to mention, there was this beautiful panel of Batman when he's using the flash bomb. It was really cool. Like, this would have been a really cool, like, cover. I don't know, I would say two out of five. That's not that much better. I don't know if this is Jonathan Crane. I don't know if this is actually Scarecrow. I don't like his design. He looks so dumb. What if it's not? What if it's just another OC? What if he's like Scarecrow's biggest fan? He's not the Scarecrow. He's the Crow Scarer. (laughs) He's like, (laughs) my name's the Tin Man. (laughs) I just don't really know what to expect anymore. When Tinian first jumped on, I gave him the benefit of the doubt of having a slow start to his story arc. And, like, mm-hmm. we had issue 91, which was really good. That was that flashback one with the designer, and everybody was in their 90s outfits and stuff. And then it kind of lulled out, and then we had Joker War. And we hit a couple high points in that, but for the most part, it was still kind of just like a plateau in terms of excitement. And now we're just jumping back into Batman after Future State, and... I haven't liked it at all. And I do like Tinian. I like him as a person, but I don't know. I feel like maybe after those two months of Future State kind of gave me a chance to recalibrate how I feel about his writing. It's not impressing me any longer. It's like it's jumped the shark. Like, at first I feel like he was aping Paul Dini. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I felt that, like, and I liked it because Dini is, like, one of my absolute favorite writers. So it felt like he was just kind of copying the Batman the Animated Series. And, like, that's a safe place to be, like, kudos. Mm-hmm. But then he kind of found his own voice. And, uh, man, his voice is wordy. It's wordy and it's Which bland. we've known as a factor of Tinian's writing. It's mm-hmm. gotten so much worse, though. It's worse mm-hmm. and it's bland. It's unoriginal. As yeah. as much as I'm like, yeah, at least he's not aping Paldini. He's like straight up lifting characters. He's making pale shadows of existing characters, trying to I don't know, leave his mark or something. I don't know. Uh, speaking of leaving marks, like I do want to say that I feel like we liked him a little bit more in the beginning because it wasn't the Tom King fiasco. Oh my gosh, it's Maybe. such a thing with all these these writers. They're always like. Oh, I want to do my Batman. I want to do my Callum. It's not yours. It never was yours. Just do the damn character. Mm-hmm. Like they're they have an existing philosophy, an existing personality, and I don't want to hear your super cool high school thesis because then you get really weird, disjointed stories because the characters don't fit your ideological needs, mm-hmm. and you start mm-hmm. to twist them and bend them and break them. And you ruin them, and people are mad, and you're like, I don't get it. They're just haters. Or maybe they're just sexist. Instead of, like, you just broke someone's character that they grew up with. I've been on the James Tennyan choo-choo train for a while. I will say his Justice League Dark was very consistent. But I think he had more creative liberties with Justice League Dark because, hey, it's Justice League Dark. You can do some really crazy banana shit, and it's gonna work because magic's just weird. And I didn't read his full run for Detective Comics. I came in when Tim got brought back in and I went back and I read what actually happened to him so I could get some context. But his writing was off Mm -hmm. a lot. He was really upsetting fans because I don't know if this is maybe some inconsistency with pre-existing characters that he maybe has to deal with or it might be... Once again, DC execs breathing down his throat. I really don't know. But at the same time, we saw signs of this wavering style with his weird OCs that showed up in Joker War, despite Joker War itself being a really good story. Yeah, I mean, like, what you're saying is true. Like, his stuff that I read, at least, in um, Justice League Dark was pretty good. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's like, oh, there was more creative freedom there, necessarily. Mm -hmm. Because, like... How many OCs did he make for Justice League Dark, really? One the really good down, one. Man. But he made this guy, like, this major antagonist, and he had this continuous storyline connecting him with Hecate and other characters. So he really tried to wiggle this character's story in more compared to, like, Ghost Hunter that was like, mm-hmm. yeah, he's been a Bruce thing since the yeah, past. Yeah, he's not he even a villain. Well. Like, he, if you want to have, like, apples to apples, like, he's got punchline who was a giant antagonist throughout the entirety mm-hmm. of Joker War. And it's like, oh, she was kind of the main person. She could have been his upside-down man. Like, if he'd had the ingenuity to create an antagonist that was as scary as that, maybe. Maybe they were just like, you know what? You don't have a pitch for Batman. You told this good story, and that was, like, the only story he had on hand. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't really have an idea of Batman, and they were like, we're gonna have you write Batman. And... You're going to be on it because we got to get Tom Keen out of here because he keeps calling Jay Lee like slurs on Twitter. (laughs) So we need him to go. The fans are really angry. So you're (laughs) pretty inoffensive. You're going to do it now. I don't know what to say about about Tinian. Like, obviously, I don't find him offensive. Mm -hmm. When I read his stuff, I'm not like, oh, this guy hates the character. Like, I don't believe that at all. I think he loves the characters. Yeah. But I'm also, like, yawning and nodding off during the whole thing until I see his OC, who, like, fills me with a sort of white-hot rage. Yeah. But everything else just kind of makes me go, all right, Uh, nothing new here. But that's also how we thought of him in the beginning, too, before we took on the run of, like... We don't put him in, like, the A-list, and we also don't put him in, like, the C-list. He can tell a good story. I mean, boring is boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, listen, I'm not going to read a boring story. 
I'm gonna keep reading it just because of Jorge Jimenez. I need his art. I'm sorry. I'm not angry. I'm not offended. I'm just kind of bored. Yeah. At least when he had Gila March on there, we could laugh because <laughs> Gila March would draw everything in such a like fucking weird way. Mm-hmm. I'm still like having nightmares about the Batman luge, <laughs> the Bat luge. In general, I think it's just a yawn. Yeah. We'll see what happens when Miracle Molly shows up in issue 108. So for mine, I actually picked up that new Green Lantern comic that came out being done by Jeffrey Thorne that me and V were talking about last week. And the art was done by Dexter Soy, the guy who did the art for Batman and the Outsiders. And um, it was weird. So to kind of set it up, you guys remember the the whole United Planets thing, right, from the Bendis comics that apparently John and Clark formed with the help of the Legion of Superheroes in the Superman comic to kind of get, like, all these alien beings together? Vaguely. No, because I never read them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this Green Lantern comic starts off as having a United Planet conclave, that they called it, where they're all going to meet on Oa. And it's basically to discuss if the Green Lanterns are going to join the United Planets or seeing if they're even needed now that there is a United Planets. Because the Green Lanterns, you know, the whole universe seemed to be centered around them. Oa is in the center of the universe. And the Green Lanterns have always been the protector for every single sector of this universe. But the way that they're thinking of now is like, oh, the United Planets, we all get to delegate and talk about matters in our Omniverse after the events of Death Metal and Infinite Frontier. And if we're all working together, why do we even need the Green Lanterns anymore to protect us? John Stewart, he is just being a representative alongside Simon Baz and Guy Gardner. Another person that I was actually shocked to see in this is Teen Lantern, the Bendis creation from Young Justice, because she is actually going through her own form of a Green Lantern trial. For those of you who don't know about Teen Lantern, her name is Kelly Quintella. She's from Bolivia, and she was introduced during Bendis' Young Justice that just came out two years ago. The reason why she's called Teen Lantern is because a Green Lantern crashed in, like, a dump yard in Bolivia where she was with her brother and he had his power battery next to him and she took the power battery and hacked into it and made a gauntlet to go alongside it so it basically acts like a ring. So John and Simon Baz are basically like her Green Lantern guardians in Oa as she can go through these tests. Basically they're trying to study this gauntlet which she will not let go of. Also, she's 11. <laughs> that's not even anything for she... Bendis. Bendis loves... Listen, that's what happened with Ironheart. She basically stole tech so that she could make her own Iron Man suit. And it's just it's just a thing girls do. She's 11 years old. And we couldn't even get an exact age from her in the, the Young Justice comic. That's right. She's yeah. been called Kid Lantern. She's been called Teen Lantern. And she's been called Tween Lantern. And different variant for Young Justice had her look like she was either 5 or 20. Yeah, they gave her some bosoms. They were ranging left and right because nobody knew. Yeah. (laughs) There was a severe lack of consistency and it was the same artist a lot of the times too. Mm -hmm. It's like your main artist can't even remain consistent. It's not like we're switching people back and forth. The other thing that they're doing, um, I call it the America Chavez treatment. So Uh... she is now, in every sentence, having a mixture of English and Spanish. I hate that. That's like another huge pet peeve. (laughs) Hello, me llamo Maria Gonzalez. I live in the Villa. It was so bad. She was talking to some alien. She's like, oh, you guys don't have those? Oh, yeah, we had that back home. It was really loco. I hate that so. It's so fake. And to the point where things like when she's screaming like, no, they add the upside down exclamation point. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? The actual audacity Mm -hmm. of this bitch. Wow. They're trying to remove her gauntlet from her and she goes, no. (laughs) Or I. Oh no. Good job with that though. Like I heard the accent. Thank you. 
And also for, um, they didn't give any translation for what she actually said whenever she did say Spanish. Mm-hmm. So, like, one of the things she said was, go grind water. <laughs> what? Wait, that was you... a literal translation of it? Did you Google translate it? I had to, because there was no actual translation from an editor. Was it supposed to be, like, go pound sand or something? I don't know. Oh my gosh, I don't know. Yeah, it was really bad. So, they're trying to get her to let them look at the gauntlet. She won't let go of it. John is talking with a couple of the guardians. They're saying how the gauntlet is very similar to the design of the one that they have in the science cells from this major Green Lantern villain called Krona, who used to use his own gauntlet and, like, backpack thing to try and control the different emotional spectrum. So, they're saying it's similar, but it does not draw from the central power battery of Oa. So they don't really know how she's continuously drawing from this one Green Lantern's battery pack. It's really weird. So John goes inside this whole meeting place where the United Plants are all gathering and a representative from Kolu, which is the planet of Brainiac, is kind of like the main speaker. And she's saying that we all came to Oa to decide whether Oa should be accepted at all. And she actually persuades a good amount of the crowd to say, like, listen, we may not need the Green Lanterns as much, but up until the formation of the United Planets, they have done a lot of good for the universe. They protected us without asking for anything in return. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, on the outside, Simon and Teen Lantern are basically enjoying a party with like corn dogs and gathering with all these other aliens that just showed up for the final decision and these weird Scottish sounding elemental beings (laughs) showed up and just picked a fight with Teen Lantern basically saying like you know Green Lanterns just think they're all that they're all powerful well you're nothing and it's a bunch of magic users and all of a sudden they just form a circle and start doing some magic chant You know when those elementals get drunk, things get real. (laughs) And basically they were saying that they were looking for something called the Star Heart. And this thing was like a (laughs) drill and it was going into Oa. Oh, I thought they were going to like go after Kaylee because like like, (laughs) you're like the Iron Heart, but because you're you're Green Lantern, you're the Star star Heart. heart. (laughs) Oh, gosh. But no, apparently the Star Heart is... Another thing that the Guardians created before the Green Lantern Corps. Because remember, the first thing the Guardians created were the Manhunters. That That hunted for anything emotional. This Starheart is basically a giant tentacle being that does the exact same thing. It feeds on emotion. And so, John is trying to have all the citizens escape. Meanwhile, a delegate for the United Planets, like, security force... She is saying, we need to kill this creature and we need to kill it now. We can worry about the citizens later. So then we get this weird guy in a McCree-looking outfit floating down next to John, saying, like, he knows exactly what this being is. It was created by the Lanterns to consume all chaos and disorder from fear of the powers of the emotional spectrum. When it comes to the emotional spectrum, there's no definitive answer. He's like, love is, rage is, but what about greed? What about hope? And in order to defeat this thing the first time, the Guardians had to answer the question, what is the source of peace? Jon Stewart knows what the answer is immediately, and he calls for every single Green Lantern to show up and for all the citizens to be off of Oa, then tells all the Lanterns to power down, and then they just don't fight. They just stand still and they recite the Green Lantern Oath, and the monster diminishes. Like that. Just Gone. like that. Because the answer was will. The will to not fight back. And then, oh as soon God. as it was small enough to be caught in a hand, the elemental beings in their Scottish brogue thing, they're like, you think you're so smart to not fight back? It just made no freaking sense. And that was it. After Sinestro persuades half the United Planets to not let Oa into the United Planets because they cause things like Zero Hour and Blackest Night. Mm -hmm. So even though they've done good for the universe, 
they've also did a lot of bad for the universe. So people are like, okay, Sinestro, we kind of get what you're putting down. But eventually they decided <laughs> to let the Green Lanterns into the United Planets. Hooray. And then another terrorist breaks in and kills a guardian. Great. Once again says we have to free the Starheart. Oh and that my was it. God. <laughs> it wow. was really weird. I'm disappointed because I was really looking forward to a Green Lantern comic to read. I gave this thing a 4 out of 10. Just could not get into this. Oh, sorry, I thought you said 4 out of 5 for a second. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> That's so funny that Sinestro would show up and they, no one's like, wait a minute, aren't you that guy who... <laughs> you are a bad person, though. What's, what are we doing with you here? This is crazy. I never understand why people actually listen to Sinestro because this man is evil. It's the dashing mustache. It's almost like he doesn't have Sinister in his name. <laughs> no, no. Listen to Mr. Dead Babies. I want to know what he has to say. It's a lot like the people who keep trusting Lex Luthor. Yeah. They're yep. like, he said he's better now. I don't know what you want from him. He, he said he was sorry for all the people he killed. I don't really recommend it. If you really want to see more about the Starheart thing, maybe pick up issue two. I'm not going to go looking for it myself. But, Muse, to close out for comics, what did you have? Because it's not Marvel, surprisingly. No, I thought I would give Marvel a bit of a break. I'm going to be covering Mambat number three, which is written by Dave Wilgaz, and the artist is Sumit Kumar. It's a mixed bag, it wasn't terrible. And it wasn't as really impactful as the first one. Like, I felt like the first Man Bat issue, like, really did a good job of setting the whole struggle that Kirk is going through. Um, so he is currently in the hands of Harley Quinn and taped to this couch. In the issue two of Man Bat, the Suicide Squad was sent to capture and or kill him for mm -hmm. reasons. He kind of set off a giant sonic boom in the middle of Gotham City and needs to pay for his crimes. And Harley's trying to act like therapist to him. The whole interaction is very kind of forced. But to be fair, I don't think I could see anyone else actually being able to talk to him and actually connect to him right mm -hmm. now than Harley. It'd be so funny if he, like, she developed a new psychosis. <laughs> 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 like, he manipulates her the way the Joker did, and she, like, becomes his henchman. Oh, gosh. It's, like, another cycle of Harley 2.0. <laughs> Well, you could see even in issue two when the Suicide Squad was going after him, she didn't seem very gung-ho about bringing this guy in because she knew Amanda Waller was going to make him a science experiment. Mm -hmm. um, and she also didn't want him to possibly be brought into the Suicide Squad because she hates it herself. So it's like a bit of sympathy towards him. And she kind of has this heart-to-heart -heart talk with him that I felt was very rushed. I felt we could have had more of him talking with her. But, oh, no, we're only in issue three of five. So we have to speed this process up. And she puts it in his big head, just because you think you're doing good doesn't mean that someone wants your help. But I do like how Harley threatens Kirk if he ever, like, breaks his ex-wife's heart again. She's going to kill him. She lets him go, then pan to Bloodhaven, and we get to see Kirk's wife. She keeps seeing all these news articles about Man Bat showing back up, and somebody shows up at her door, and it's Scarecrow! Yep, we get another comic with Scarecrow, but this is the wonderful, campy Jonathan <laughs> Crane in his Scarecrow outfit with his scythe. I like this. <laughs> this is refreshing. This is very refreshing after the dumb, edgy, needle hands. freaking scarecrow mm -hmm. that we got in Batman. Um, the sonic emitter that Kirk broke in issue one was Scarecrow's. It was his man that he was trying to get to get the sonic emitter. Because uh, guess what? He actually has a really good plan. Uh, he's going to try and use subliminal messaging with this sonic emitter to fearify people. I do admire how quickly this story is going. I mean, it's covering a lot of ground. Yep. Well, his wife gets captured because uh, Scarecrow needs her to help recreate the sonic emitter. 
because she's also an expert in all of this. Mm -hmm. So we go back to Kirk and he's nowhere to go. He's on the run from the authorities. He can't go back home. He definitely can't go back to his ex-wife because they would immediately pinpoint that that would potentially be where he goes. And she's not going to probably accept him back after his relapse to becoming man bad again. So he goes to his sister's house. His whole reason for the man bat serum because his sister's deaf. But she doesn't want a cure. She's like, I'm perfectly fine living my life as it is. I'm not weak because of my disability. This is who I am. Um, stop pitying me. But she lets him in and they do have a really touching moment that I wish we had gotten more of the artist representations of their faces because a lot of the panels are very shadowy. Mm -hmm. could also show that melancholy and that sadness and regret because as he got older they became estranged like he hasn't seen his sister in years so this is him reconnecting and we get a montage of kirk just trying to get back into the day he's trying to still work on this cure and he finishes it but I need to test it out. Hey, sis, do you want to take it? Because my whole life's work has been for you. And you're like, you finally reconciled with your sister and you go and ruin it. I don't know if it was the man bat side of him coming out because there's these different text blocks that um, show up when it's man bat kind of speaking compared to Kirk himself. Um, he gets really angry and explosion. Oh, it's Scarecrow. He shows up with the blackout gang, the people that lost their hearing to the sonic emitter. They have a small little squabble. He gets incapacitated and it seems like Scarecrow has Kirk and his ex-wife trapped in a laboratory trying to fix this sonic emitter using fear toxin because he doesn't just deal with fear, he dabbles in other weird stuff. And we see this illusion of them being a happy couple, working in a lab, but then you see the monitors and it's like, nope, he's still man bat, mm -hmm. being manipulated by Scarecrow. And that's where the issue ends. Yeah. Wow. That sounds really good, actually. It's been a pretty good series. Mm -hmm. Though this one did, I think, lack some of the oomph but i think it had a bit more emotional oomph because issue two is weird i was like why is the suicide squad here <laughs> right because they gotta get more publicity for that movie you gotta get more publicity for the movie and you have to keep making references to other things in continuity but i'm very happy that scarecrow's plan makes sense like i said he's being campy about it like he's mm -hmm. he's not doing his hoo-ha thing that he <laughs> i know i was looking for the hoorah hoo <laughs> but he definitely embodies that hoorah yeah no definitely mm -hmm. with how he's drawn the way he acts he's yeah. evil he's manipulative he's maniacal but he's got that stupid ass hat on and you're just like i'm yeah. into it we're gonna have a fun you know <laughs> rip roaring time I don't know why it's so much more infuriating and humiliating for the heroes when they're being like bested by someone in a silly outfit. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like mm -hmm. it's it's like someone just like dabbing over your grave. Yeah. <laughs> like you have a guy like Condiment King that got the drop on Batman. You got Condiment King. Like, listen, these guys, they're fun. Let's compare this to Clockwork Orange, Scarecrow, and Tinians. <laughs> we can't really follow the story if we don't know your plan. And yeah. mm -hmm. there's a, it's that thing with, like, WandaVision and a lot of other stuff where it's like, oh, you're going to be so shocked. That twist is going to get you. Just wait for the twist. That's it. That's the twist. You're like, oh, I wish you hadn't <laughs> done that. I feel that, though, with, like, the scary, the super scary ominous setup with the villains who just, they're scary and they look like they're going to be a big frightening monster. But really, they have the stupidest, most convoluted plan, and you can't follow it, you can't understand it. Mm -hmm. When you do, like, exactly. actually put the graph down, you're like, oh, this makes no sense. They also try to keep being like, I'm keeping you guessing, I'm keeping you guessing, you won't know what their thing is, like you said, and then here's the twist, and you're like, I didn't see that coming, because you barely gave me any clues. Like, the Sonic Emitter was in issue one granted yes this is a mini series so the whole thing is going to tie up with a nice neat little bow by the end of it but you have the sonic emitter in issue one 
You have Scarecrow finding his men that have been deafened, and we're seeing him unveiling it as it goes along. I wonder if they just, like, these comic writers just have to kind of go through a short story class again. Well, maybe that's what they're doing with forcing everyone to do short stories. <laughs> but based on the short stories I've been seeing, I don't think it's it's the problem. Maybe they just need writing no. classes. Then. Yeah, maybe they just need to hire good writers. I don't know what's going on over there. So what would you give this one, Muse? Um, I would give this, like, in the range of, like, a six or a seven. It definitely mm-hmm. accomplished its goal. There were some things that maybe just kind of a little frustrated character-wise, but there was a lot of good character moments. And bless Scarecrow, like, that was the only reason I was like, yes! Mm. Campy, dumb Scarecrow with his ingenious idea. It made me kind of want the Riddler to show up next. Yes! (laughs) I also do like how they focus on the flaws and, like, the fatal, like, personality quirks of Kirk. Mm -hmm. And why he is doomed to continue to be Man-Bat, because he has these philosophies that are at odds with reality and they call him out Mm -hmm. on it like the writer is not condoning it he's not glamorizing Mm -hmm. it he's not sweeping it under the rug he knows what makes kirk tick he wants you to know because the other side Mm -hmm. characters know as well and i think Mm -hmm. that's really great like just skimming through it i was like this looks so fun would you want to pick up the first two issues i will now I think the reason why we're so focused on his fatalistic flaw is because by the end of it, we get to see kind of a nice melding between the two of them for a time. We get Kirk Langstrom's mind in a man-bat body because this takes place right before Tinian's Justice League Dark, Mm -hmm. where he was in there as his brilliant scientist self, but still being able to use his abilities as man-bat. I don't know if whatever conclusion he comes to is going to be healthy or if it's going to be very unhealthy, which is why he's not over his addiction and his issues and his codependency relying on Man-Bat. We'll find out. It's actually Mephisto all along. (laughs) (laughs) There was a twist. (laughs) Well, guys, we actually got a bit of news to go through. Mm -hmm. So... For DC, we have some more of that Batman news with the Batman movie. You know, the one that's been going on filming about the long Halloween, that great story from right. Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. The one that's going to be animated. What? <laughs> oh, what? you didn't know? <laughs> yeah. What? They thought that the live action idea was so great, we're going to do the same exact thing animated. They're just going to cut their legs right out from under them. Okay. <laughs> They're coming out with Batman The Long Halloween, an animated movie, part one and part two, directed by Chris Palmer, oh. who did uh, director for the art departments for How to Train Your Dragon 3, uh, Voltron, Young Justice, and the Ultimate Spider-Man TV show. And He's a good the director. writing credits are going to Jeff Loeb, who did the original story, and Tim Sheridan. And actually, Palmer and Sheridan previously uh, collaborated in the Superman Man of Tomorrow animated movie that was, like, the first one of DC's new animated movie uh, art styles and storytelling and stuff. To give you guys a rundown of the long Halloween, we actually did cover this whole story a couple issues back on Halloween. It is a 13 issue from 1996 by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, and it takes place shortly after Batman Year One. So Batman is still kind of like a new hero, and there's this serial killer that is murdering every single holiday that Batman is trying to crack down. This movie, nobody really knows for sure if it is set to take place in the same universe as Man of Tomorrow. I'm pretty sure it's separate because DC was really adamant about saying, like, we're not doing the animated universe, all the movies tie-in thing anymore. We're trying to step mm-hmm. away from that again. But between the creative team, the art style, and that this story is revolving around a younger, new Batman, much similar to how the Man of Tomorrow Superman was very young and new at his job as yeah. well, it is possible. With the cast, Batman is being voiced by Jensen Ackles from Supernatural. Weird. I heard the trailer. It actually doesn't sound that bad. Then Catwoman is being voiced by uh, Naya Rivera from Glee and the Step Up Highwater TV show. Also weird. Did they record all of this before? 
before she died. What? She's the the glee star that drowned. Oh shit! In the lake. What the yeah. fuck? It's gonna be yeah, very she... weird. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah, usually, like, yeah. with animated films, don't they, like, record the voice actors first because they animate around their performance? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right, well. In, Sorry. In lighter news, Calendar Man is voiced by David Dasmalchin, oh. who is yes. playing Polka Dot Man in the Suicide Squad. <laughs> then you have Troy Baker playing the Joker, uh-huh. which actually sounds really good. He voiced Joel in The Last of Us, and he voiced Jason Todd in... Arkham Knight. He has a really good Joker voice. I'm really. I thought it was Mark Hamill at first when I heard it. Wow, that's good. Yeah, and then Josh Duhamel, the guy from the Transformers movies, he's going to be playing Harvey Dent, and then the dad from Twilight, Billy Burke, is playing James (laughs) Gordon. Okay. (laughs) So a really interesting lineup. I'm curious to see how it's going to go. The animation doesn't look that bad. This one's coming out first, so part one is coming out in the summer. And then part two is showing up in the fall. Next year, we get the live-action version of this. Yep. For Marvel, you have the new trailers for Black Widow and Loki. Uh, Black Widow, you got to see more Taskmaster. Loki, you got to see more of Loki and Owen Wilson. Uh, Apparently, the GLAAD Awards gave outstanding comic book to Empire, Lords of Empire, Emperor Hulkling and Empire Aftermath Avengers. Also, Black Widow did get a release date as well with that trailer. It's going to be July 9th. Right. So it's going to be in theaters and, of course, Disney Plus Premier Access. Yeah. For those that were probably curious about that, we were It's going to be gonna 30 do. bucks either way. So it's like pay 30 from the comfort of your home or go to movies. I don't know. It's still a toss-up for me. Yeah. Most of my movie theaters here are not open. It's going to be open by July. It's gotta. We'll see. But one of the biggest things that V actually brought to my attention, and then I looked into a little bit more, is that Disney, who, as you know, owns Marvel, and as you know, Marvel just came out with an alien comic book based off the 80s movie, Disney is withholding the royalties of aliens for the author, Alan Dean Foster. And they have been for years. So first, they actually got some of Foster's work in 2012 when they acquired Lucasfilms Mm -hmm. because he did the novelization for Star Wars. He also did another thing for them, and they were giving him royalties, and then they stopped. And when they acquired 20th Century Fox, they never gave him any royalties for any of his projects from there. And they never even issued a statement regarding the royalties. And he brought this up to them in November. He actually wrote a letter addressed to Disney. A little blurb from that is him saying, You continue to ignore requests from my agents. You continue to ignore queries from SWA, the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America. You continue to ignore my legal representatives. I know this is what gargantuan corporations often do. Ignore requests and inquiries, hoping the petitioner will simply go away. Or possibly die. But I'm still here, and I am still entitled to what you owe me, including not to be ignored just because I'm only one lone writer. How many other writers and artists out there are you similarly ignoring? Ooh, that call out. They told him that they would discuss it further if he signed an NDA. Which, of course, himself, his attorneys... And anybody with common sense knows that that's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah Never, no, do ever that. sign an NDA if it's going to be something you even remotely think you're going to need to talk about to get support on. Mm-hmm. And like I said, they started this whole thing back in 2012 when they got Lucasfilms. Along with Foster's work, they acquired a back catalog consisting of hundreds of novels by potentially hundreds of authors. And it makes you wonder how many other authors are in the same boat as Foster. Mm -hmm. And let's say at least eight years, going on nine, because now we're in 2021. How could that much time pass without anybody else speaking about this? You think they fell for the trap and signed the NDAs? I guess so. Are those even enforceable if you haven't paid them? It's basically like Mm -hmm. whenever they do the NDA, it's like, listen, okay, we didn't give you any money we're gonna write you this one check 
and it's never going to happen again. Yep, pretty much. That's actually insane, because, like, I don't know if you grew up reading the Star Wars novels, but there were so many. And they were so good. They were wonderful. And Disney now has them all. And, like, when I think about the comics, and, you know, around here we talk a lot about Dark Horse. Uh, Dark Horse was doing this amazing, like, Mm -hmm. just a ton of Star Wars comics that were huge hits before Marvel swooped in and and ruined them. Yeah, I actually have a couple of them. Apparently they're doing the same thing with Alien because Alien has this huge back catalog with Dark Horse. Mm-hmm. And now Disney is selling all of this uh, Dark Horse, like, year one stuff. A purely Dark Horse art, right? But because now Disney owns the rights, Marvel gets to sell it. Yeah, There was a little blurb I saw when I was looking through this about how Greg Land... Uh, was in a little hot water because he straight up traced like a ton of uh, art from, oh, I forget his name, but it was another uh, Aliens artist. Which is really funny too what? because Greg Land is a guy who worked with Peter David on that Symbiote Spider-Man comic I've been going on and on about. I also just saw mm. a post on Tumblr, it was like a call out post for how he drew Ben Grimm like, over and over the same face. Mm-hmm. Just, like, making the Poggers face. You know, just like a Pac-Man. Uh-huh. And people were just like, the amount of tracing paper this man owns is unreal. <laughs> like, he clearly traces his own work. He clearly traces pieces of other people's work. And I, I honestly don't see anything wrong with it if you're doing it on your own stuff, but, like... Not for official. Oh, man. That has to suck to see your art on somebody else's salary again like them getting to pay instead of you right the whole thing it just it blew me away and the fact that it's been going on for so long and i was so excited for this alien series and then i didn't get to read it yet i didn't even get to pick up the number one and then v showed it to me and like i don't even want to now it's damaging the foster and you know as far as sales goes like yeah it could also be damaging the people that work on this comic because there were 25 people that worked on this thing, including varying by, like, Patrick Gleason, Todd Nock, David Finch, Peach Momoko. That's not right. No. No. So I'm not picking this up. And also, I the last line, as you mentioned, like, how many other people were ignored or continuing to be ignored. And it's not just those that were acquired due to merger stuff, but, like, what about other, like, Marvel comic artists? getting upset over things or just artists that maybe had gotten taken their stuff off of like the internet because they maybe signed like a dumb little contract with disney marvel and they're like oh that's ours now mm-hmm. just kind of skeevy well disney's lawyers are notorious uh for like oh, intentionally yeah. trying to cause companies to bankrupt themselves by mm-hmm. getting locked into bad contracts or engulfing them <laughs> blue sky uh, yeah we're we're not happy about that and I remember when a bunch of those Fox games got destroyed because Disney didn't want them. Mm-hmm. Like, they just were like, this is fine, but Nimona. we've got our own, so we're going to kill off all these competitors, which is basically yep. what it is. It just They just absorb and murder creative pursuits, and Disney is like the death of creativity, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even know how we can keep imagining them as like a positive force because like nothing they've produced in the last few years has been positive like they've managed to do like a few little like produce a few little things that other people would have gladly made with a different company honestly Uh but it was like some purchased franchise and they're like look what we did and it's like all you did was buy it you're the worst Because, like, for everything that makes it to the public's eye, you know, there's a bunch of corpses behind it of, like, destroyed projects because Disney just didn't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. It's scummy and it sucks and I wish there was some way to, like, punish them for it. Like, oh, if you don't pay a writer his royalties that are clearly due to him and that you are legally obligated to pay for, like, X amount of months... You not only have to rescind your rights to that property, but you also have to pay, like, a certain amount of interest in back pay. Something, like, harsh like that. Remember when they had that wage-fixing scandal? It went on for years. Nobody would have known that all of Silicon Valley-type big studios had banded together to create a network of wage-fixing to artificially lower artists' pay. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And, like, have we all forgotten Ooh. that they did that? Because it was a huge lawsuit. They lost and basically got a slap on the hand. This is a terrible, evil company. And now we have freaking Bitcoin people stealing artist stuff and causing issues with that. And all this NFT stuff going on. I don't get it. I do need to do more research before I take a side on it, because I feel like a lot... I've talked to, like, eight people about it, and all of them said they didn't know what it was, but they knew it was bad. And that, to me, is, like, a huge red flag, so I need to actually research it for myself. But... Right now, I just don't want to, like, jump in with a pitchfork before I know what we're burning. Yeah. <laughs> um, a college freshman making sure they're in the right classroom. Goodness. <laughs> so, V, do you mind telling us the new DC comics that are coming out next week? Oh, I would love to. So, guess what? Black Label, American Vampire, 1976, number seven. Mm-hmm. Um, that's coming out. We're also going to get a number one. Uh, Batman the Detective. <laughs> You've heard of Batman, but get ready for Batman the Detective. Uh, number one of six. It's a miniseries by Tom Taylor and the artist Andy Kubert. Kind of a big deal in mm-hmm. my heart, so I'm excited, even if he is wearing a trench coat and swim <laughs> goggles. Uh, if, let me read the description for you guys. An epic tale begins that will take Batman on a harrowing, action-packed, European adventure in a new miniseries by superstar creators Tom Taylor and Andy Kubert. A horrific tragedy in the United Kingdom sends a very personal and deadly message to the Dark Knight, one that will draw Batman out of Gotham City to investigate. From the moment he lands in Europe, Batman will face a difficult investigation and unheard-of adversaries and find the assistance of a partner once more. All in the hunt for the villain known as Equilibrium. <laughs> wow. New villains, new allies, a thrilling overseas adventure begins for the Dark Knight, starting with an extra-sized 26-page debut story. Listen, 26 pages is nothing to laugh at. However, I am laughing at Jet Setter Batman. I, I think that's adorable. Do you think that they're going to reintroduce Knight and Squire? I was, like, thinking about that. Oh, my gosh, yes. Low-key kind of, yes, I am hoping for that. I want to see Tom Taylor's take on it. Um, So, I mean, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it. Yeah, it looks really good. Um, Also, Batman and Scooby-Doo Mysteries (laughs) number one. (laughs) This one's coming out from Ivan Cohen, and I was, like, eyeing this earlier today. Mm -hmm. The artist is Dario Bruzuela. It's an all-new, all-ages series that teams the Dark Knight with Scooby-Doo and the sleuths of Mystery Incorporated. <laughs> when Batman discovers his original purple gloves have gone missing, <laughs> Velma, Shaggy, and Scooby-Doo travel back in time to Batman's year one era to solve the case. Will this glove story have a happy ending? This could have the oh answer Jedi Josh needs for this series. <laughs> yes, Someone call Jedi Josh. <laughs> they were listening. This is right up his alley. I'm very excited. <laughs> so, um, the other number one on my list is The Challenge of the Super Sons, which is just, you know, it was digital and now it's going to be printed, which is great mm-hmm. for me because I don't read digital. I'm kind of a an old school person like that. I'm definitely picking that up. Uh, we also have Batman Urban Legends number two, the Joker number two, Black Label Rorschach number seven. I honestly fell off of that. I forgot they were still making it. Me too. It's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. When was Rorschach number six? Like two years ago? I don't know. <laughs> um, Superman number 30, Black Label Sweet Tooth, The Return number six. And Wonder Woman 771. I guess that's a monthly now. I guess so. And Muse, what is coming out for Marvel next week? All right. For Marvel next week, we have V's favorite, Black Cat number five. Yes! We have Children of the Atom number two. I still need to read number one. Daredevil number 29. We also have another number one. We have Darkhawk. Heart of the Hawk, written by various writers and artists. Celebrate the 30th anniversary of the 90s hottie. Uh, <laughs> yeah! 90s hottie! It's hot to trot. <laughs> let, me, let me start again. 
celebrate the 30th anniversary of the 90s hottest hero in three spectacular stories. First, an untold story from Darkhawk's early days by creators Danny Fingeroth and Mike Manley, then explore the winged hero's cosmic years by Dan Abnett and Andrea DeVito. Finally, find out what the future holds for Darkhawk by Kyle Higgins and more. Um, I just want to mention, I love how they're like having this whole like giant anniversary thing for Darkhawk. I'm like, this man was a meme. <laughs> I'm glad you know Darkhawk. I had no idea who he is. He's a really cool character, though, from what I've heard. I have no idea who this is. Yeah. I hope I'm interested in finding out. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, besides that 30th anniversary issue, we also have Fantastic Four number 30, Guardians of the Galaxy number 13. Woo! Start of the new team. I can't wait because Billy and Teddy are in this, and I saw previews, and it looks really good we also have iron fist heart of the dragon number four iron man number eight king and black namor number five non-stop spider-man number two power pack number five spider-man spider shadow number one um this is written by chips zadarsky and the artist is pascal ferry so of course probably off the heels of king and black what if peter parker became venom Peter Parker once put on an alien suit that nearly destroyed his life, but what if he'd never taken it off? Ignoring every warning, Spidey embraces the dark symbiote. Haunted by terrible nightmares and exhausted by an endless barrage of bad guys, Peter can't seem to catch a break these days. So when the Hobgoblin attacks, he finds a hero at the end of his rope and vulnerable to new dark impulses. Spider-Man is about to change his rules, but is it truly Peter Parker who is in charge? Creative powerhouses Chip Zdarsky, Pascal Ferry, and Matt Hollinsworth bring you a terrifying tale of a Peter Parker possessed and on the edge. This is literally the symbiote Spider-Man comic I've been reading from Peter David. Mm-hmm. Is this not the same blurb, too? Because I feel like I've read this before. It's a different blurb. The one Peter David worked on, it was called Alien Reality, and it was basically taking place right after the first Secret Wars when Peter uh, came back ah. to Earth with the symbiote suit. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a reality where he just kept it on. And a bunch of other things changed where Hobgoblin was now Sorcerer Supreme and Black Cat was actually Natasha Romanov and a bunch of other weird things like that. Mm. We might be getting a future state with this, kind of like that was the future state and now this is the actual like run and lead into that symbiote Spider-Man. <sighs> I don't know. Either way, it's weird, but Marvel can excuse it by just saying, oh, this is a different Earth, because we don't have our Earths limited. Earths just keep popping mm-hmm. up like daisies. They're they're just everywhere. Doesn't matter. New storyline, make a new mm-hmm. Earth. We also have uh, Star Wars Bounty Hunters number 11, Thor number 14, Thor and Loki Double Trouble number 2, and Wolverine number 11. <sighs> Well, thank you guys for listening to this week's episode of the Court of Outlets podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at Court of Outlets. And let us know which comic you would want us to cover next week. And make sure to stay up to date with our latest episodes by subscribing to the podcast on Anchor, Apple, Google, Spotify, and everywhere else you may listen to your podcasts. And we will see you next week. Take care. Bye.